The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good evening. Welcome. I'm Pastor Chris. Glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, those of you who are watching online, glad to have you with us as well. Those of you who are sleeping on a pullout sofa somewhere in the country, uh, we're glad that you tuned in tonight uh, to be a part of our service as well. Uh, we are in, we've been in a series here at Coastal. Hey, first of all, let me say this. So I know that scientists say that uh, the longest night of the year is December the 21st. It's called the what? Anybody know? Winter solstice, but everybody with kids knows that tonight is the longest night of the year. So we're going to do our best not to uh, prolong your evening. We just wanted to gather together tonight, sing some songs uh, that we've been uh, singing this month here at Coastal, and uh, I have a message that I just believe that the Lord laid on my heart that I want to share with you tonight, and uh, we're going to sing one more song and dismiss you and go home and uh, be with your families. But uh, we've been in this series uh, here at Coastal called Carols, and uh, each each week uh, of the series, we've been looking at a particular Christmas song or hymn or carol that we traditionally sing, and then I would use that as kind of the springboard uh, for my message. And uh, tonight is the only night that we're not actually going to be singing the song that, um, that's the kind of the theme. And uh, so you look on your bulletin there tonight on my outline inside your, uh, your program. Uh, what, what's the song tonight? It's, it's the title of the message. Oh, Christmas tree. It's a terrible song to sing, by the way. In fact, I've been kind of taking a survey. The reason I think it's terrible is because it goes, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. And then everybody that I've asked, they go, na, 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 na. Like nobody knows the song. So anyway, um, so here's what we're going to do tonight. I've got a, uh, I don't know, kind of a personal uh hopefully humorous story to tell you. And then I want to look tonight at a part of the Christmas story from the Bible that you have probably never, ever looked at before. In fact, I will say that in 28 years of preaching on Christmas Eve, and we've been doing this since the church got started, Christmas Eve service, I have never, ever, ever preached on this part of the Christmas story. In fact, I will go as far to say that it comes from what is probably the most overlooked and least read part of the entire New Testament. And maybe after tonight you'll go, and now we know why. No, but... Um, but before I get into that, here's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about uh, Christmas trees, Christmas trees. You know, for many people, the Christmas tree kind of is the centerpiece of their overall Christmas experience. Now, what, what, here's what I mean by that. First of all, regardless of where you're from, regardless of what you believe, most people have one. Most people have a Christmas tree. Now, that is, of course, unless one of three things is true. You're either, you know, young and single, no children, living alone, and will be out of town for most of Christmas, and you really don't see the point. Sometimes, you know, that category of people will not put up a Christmas tree. Or, number two, you're just a Scrooge, you know, bah humbug, you know, don't care about trees or Christmas. Or, number three, you're an old cat lady. Okay, and, uh, but, but you probably even put up lights on your disgusting cat tree. You know, one of those little cat trees. Anyway, but think about it, okay? From, from picking it out or, you know, pulling it down to decorating it, you know, all the different ornaments over the years on your tree and all the stories behind those ornaments to the presents 
underneath the tree and all the fun and the memories that are going to be made tonight or tomorrow morning. Everybody, I bet everybody in this room has a Christmas tree story. I've got a few and I wanted to share with you tonight. Um, I still remember the very first Christmas tree uh, that Janet and I had as husband and wife. And uh, we're, uh, we're, we've been married 31 years and uh, I was still in college um, and we were living in Atlanta at the time when, when we first got married. And uh, we went to the Atlanta Farmer's Market to pick out our first tree. And I don't know if it's still there or not, or, but to me at the time, I'm serious. It felt like it was the largest place in the world to pick out a tree. It was basically just row after row after row of, of Christmas trees, Christmas tree vendors from all over the Southeast. And, and Janet and I picked out what we believed, what looked to us to be the perfect tree. It was a Colorado blue spruce. It was beautiful. Now, you need to know, the guy, we, we, we saw it, we fell in love with it, we picked it out, said that's the tree. The guy wrapped it up, he put it on top of our car, and we drove home. But when we got home, we discovered something that we did not know. The Colorado blue spruce is not a soft tree. Okay, it's not a soft, like, fir tree. It is a very, very hard and very prickly tree. And for some reason, this young, newly married couple, we did not have any gloves. And so we actually put up and decorated our very first Christmas tree with oven mitts. That's a true story, <laughs> oven mitts. Um, now, fast forward a little bit. I also remember our very first Christmas tree here in Charleston. Uh, we picked it out together, we brought it home, and uh, this time, you know, we had learned our lesson. This was not a Colorado blue spruce, uh, it was a Fraser fir. We went that route, not the pine, the Fraser fir. And uh, Janet went to work the next day. She was teaching um, at an elementary school uh, here in Charleston, and uh, my job that day, the next day, was to, uh, while she was at work, was to get the tree in the stand and then, you know, just kind of get everything situated, let the, you know, branches fall, all that kind of stuff. And then we would decorate it that night after she got home. Well, I discovered that the tree didn't fit in our stand. And we had failed to get it trimmed. And so it needed to be trimmed. And again, being a young, newly married couple, we also, not only did we not have gloves, but we didn't have any tools. But I did have steak knives. Okay. You, you, know, you, know, you know where this is going. So what's crazy is think about that. We have oven mitts and steak knives. You know what's important in our house. Okay. So, um, so fast forward just a tiny bit. I went to pick up Janet from school later that day. Uh, we only had one car. And uh, on the way home, she asked me a question. No lie. I will never forget this. She said, Chris, what's your bloody hand doing wrapped in one of our bath towels? <laughs> it was just laying there on the seat, and evidently we also did not have any band-aids, but anyway, um, but when it comes to Christmas trees, when it comes to Christmas trees, everybody knows that the first and most important question you must answer either as an individual or as a family is this, real or what? 
fake. That's right, don't even say artificial. Real or fake. Now, let's take a quick you know, survey here. Raise your hand if you have a, a real tree. Raise your hand if you've got a real tree. Okay, very good. Put your hands down. Now, I'm assuming, everybody else, raise your hand if you have an artificial tree. Okay, a fake tree. Okay, there you go. Now, um, I grew up, so a little bit of my backstory is, I grew up with an artificial tree. Uh, in fact, both sets of my grandparents had an artificial tree. In fact, one of them even had that, I don't know, some of you might remember this, uh, now I think it's worth a lot of money, but that white aluminum tree with like the, um, the rotating colored light wheel. And uh, so that's kind of what, that's what I grew up with. That's all I ever knew was fake artificial trees as a child. Now, Janet, on the other hand, she grew up having a real tree. Every Christmas, they had a, a real tree. Uh, so to her, having a real tree really wasn't that big of a deal to her. But to me, it was. I mean, I never had a real tree. And when we got married, I wanted, I wanted a real tree. So actually, to be honest with you, I insisted that we get a real tree. Now, over the years, Janet, my wife, she has actually uh, suggested, she has brought up on an occasion that we ought to go ahead and make an investment and get a fake tree. And she'll even bring up things like, you know, the money that we're spending, you know, each year on a, on a, on a real tree and how we could very quickly recoup that investment, you know, on a, on a fake tree. And then she will inevitably mention all the cleanup and, uh, and the watering. I mean, she almost talks like it's a dog or something, you know, and the, and the work and the, you know, the required, you know, all this effort that's required for a real tree. And I have absolutely no idea what she's talking about. I just think it looks beautiful. It smells beautiful. Um, but I need to tell you something. I have put my flag so deep in the ground on this issue in our family and maybe even brainwashed our children that to this day, no joke, to this day, if you tell one of my grown kids that you and your family, you've got a fake tree, their knee-jerk re response will be, oh, so you don't love the baby Jesus. Like, I'm serious. I have made it a test of faith in our family over the years. So, for 31 years of marriage, we've had a real tree until this year. Now, so let me kind of tell you the progression here, what's, what's happened. So, you know, the reality is the kids are grown and gone, and it's been a good run. I mean, it really has been a good run. I've, I've had my fill. I've had my fill of, you know, real trees. And we've had the occasional, like, sappy tree and the tree that dies pretty quickly and bugs and all that. But we, we've had a good run. We've had my, I've had my fill. And, and seriously, everybody in this room really knows that Janet really is the one who does all the work for the tree. I haven't really lifted much of a finger, but... 
Honestly, and this is the truth, honestly, deep, deep down in my heart, mentally and emotionally, I really don't care. And I, I know, I know that it's really not a matter of faith. I know it's not a deal breaker issue. Over the years, though, it's one of these things that's just kind of taken on a life of its own, okay, in my family. Like everybody knows I hate cats and they're of the devil. And that's kind of taken on a life of its own. And I don't, you know, and I really, I really don't hate cats. It's just a thing that's kind of taken on a life of its own. So, here's where I'm going with all this. So, I decided uh, earlier this year that I'm going to surprise my wife. I'm, I'm going to surprise Janet, and I am going to go out, and I am going to get a top-of-the-line. By the way, everybody says, oh, just get one after Christmas. You can't do that. They got the terrible, nasty ones after Christmas. They know all the nice ones that people are going to buy, and they put all those up. But anyway, so I made my decision that I'm going to get a top-of-the-line pre-lit artificial tree from Costco, okay? And this is it right here. This is actually the box of the artificial tree that I bought this year. No joke. Now, so I didn't tell Janet what I was doing. And I, in fact, I called Janet on my way home after I'd gone to Costco and I picked up some food or something, and I just told her that I had a surprise for her. I had a surprise, and her first response was, oh, did you get me a Christmas present? I'm like, no, it's not a Christmas present, because I got to say that to my wife, because she's very smart. She'll figure things out really quickly, so we just lie to each other all the time. So anyway, um, so I, I told her I just had a surprise, and when I got home, I told her to close her eye. I brought all the stuff in. I told her to close her eyes, and then I got this box, and no joke, it was in, you know, in the backseat of my Toyota, and uh, I, I drug it out. And, you know, it's got the tree in it. I, I got it inside the house, and then I just slid it all the way across the floor right in front of her. She's sitting in the living room, and, and I told her, okay, open your eyes. Now, it's not that I was expecting the heavens to open up and a host of angels to start singing the hallelujah chorus, but I probably was at least expecting a hug. I mean, I'm serious, okay? Maybe even something more. I'll just leave it at that. But I looked over at Janet. I mean, all, there was like silence. I'm serious. It was like dead silence. And I looked over at Janet. And I asked her a question that I have asked a hundred times in our marriage. Are you crying? I mean, seriously, she was crying. She was absolutely, I know, I know. And, and she was crying not, listen to this, not tears of joy. It was tears of sadness. She was, she was sad, and actually, no, this even gets worse. She was sad for me. She actually thought that I was sacrificing my childhood dream, my Christmas joy for her. Not, not the reaction I was expecting. Now, I'll, I'll, just to let everybody know, we have since recovered. Everybody is happy in our house. The, you know, the fake, we don't love the baby Jesus tree, it is up, it is decorated, and uh, actually, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really, really sharp. And yes, we are attending the marriage retreat that we're offering in February. So, um, but uh, here, here's my point. And by the way, so this is actually a real tree. We'll probably give it away to somebody after the second service. Um, we, we found one. It was like a tree shortage, I guess, here in Charleston. It's like the only tree left in Charleston. I think, I think uh, Ryan paid like five or ten bucks for it. So anyway, we'll give it to one of those tree ladies or, I mean, a cat ladies or a, or a single adult after the second service. But um, everyone, 
Everyone has a tree story. Everyone has a Christmas tree story. Even Jesus. And tonight, I actually want us to look at his. The very first Christmas tree. Now I'm calling it his Christmas tree, but really, it's his family tree. His genealogy. You know what's interesting to me is that genealogies are really hot right now, aren't they? You've seen all the commercials? I mean, they're everywhere. And, um, uh, you know, I've seen that commercial for uh, Ancestry.com or 23 or whatever it is. And, and um, I know some of you have probably thought about, you know, purchasing a, you know, a subscription or something just to find out if you've got like a rich relative somewhere that you, you knew nothing about, right? That's the only reason we probably do that. But what's funny is that as hot as all of that is right now, still, the genealogy of Jesus is without a doubt the most overlooked and the least read part of the entire New Testament. I mean, come on, guys, let's be honest for a second tonight. You know, we're in church, let's be honest. How many of you, when you're reading through the Bible and you come to one of these genealogies, you just skip over it? Because <laughs> you know you cannot pronounce those names, you know, and, and you just kind of go right over that. Tonight, let's not do that. In fact, let's remember that there is great benefit in studying every part of the Bible every part of God's love letter written to us. And even though this passage is filled with the names of people who are long gone, and again, we have a hard time even pronouncing, God included it for a reason. And there's a bunch of reasons we could talk about tonight. Maybe uh, it shows us Jesus' humanity, his deity, uh, it justifies his claim to be, you know, from the, the line, the throne of David. It fulfills all kinds of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, but tonight, on Christmas Eve, I want us to see a more basic reason. I think it beautifully points to the grace of God. And so, you know, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I want to read this out loud. And I just want you to listen to the names, and then I want us to talk about it. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, this is Jesus' Christmas tree. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was, had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born 
Jesus, who's called the Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. So, as we look tonight at the family tree of Jesus, I see at least three types of people here hanging from the branches. Three reminders about the type of people that God uses, that he still uses today. And so here's my hope. My hope is that you'll see yourself in this family tree. My hope is that you'll see the same three types of people in your own family, in your own life. If you're taking notes, number one, God uses the faithful. God uses the faithful. You know, as you read through this list of uh, this, you know, Jesus' family tree, and if you know anything about the Bible at all, I mean, if you grew up going to church or children's church or anything, there, there are some definite names here that really just leap out. I mean, come on, names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and David and Solomon and Hezekiah, all devoted people, all faithful people who accomplish great things for God. In fact, one of my favorite verses is 2 Chronicles 16, 9, and it says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, what that's saying is that, you know what? Our God loves to use faithful people. That's it. You know, God's not looking to use the most educated, the most talented, the most powerful. He's just looking for faithful He's just looking for people that will commit their hearts to him. But if you look closely enough at this family tree, I mean, these faithful people, you'll also see that none of them, none of them are perfect, okay? In fact, these faithful people are still flawed people. And that's true today. Faithful people are flawed people. I mean, again, look back at these names. Abraham lied. Jacob was a con man. David, a man the Bible says was after God's heart. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon followed in his dad's steps and committed sexual sin. Asa bailed on God at the end of his life. Hezekiah struggled with pride. Let me tell you something. I could keep going and going and going. So what's my point tonight? My point is this. Even the good need God's grace. Even the good need God's grace. In fact, the Bible declares that nobody is completely good, completely faithful, that we all fall short. Romans 3.12 says, all have turned away from God, all have gone wrong, no one does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Don't you see? Today, we are still sinners in the need of a Savior. And the good news of Christmas, the good news of this Christmas tree is that one has been provided. You know, what what did the angel say to the shepherds on that night? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a, a what has been born? A Savior. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Listen, God uses faithful people, but faithful people, 
They're still flawed. They're still sinners in need of a Savior. You know, I, uh, I, just, I did a funeral this past week, and I, I shared something that I share many times at a funeral. A lot of times at a funeral, people will be talking about, well, this, he was a good man or a good person. And we make a big deal about how good somebody was. Let me share something with you. Good people don't go to heaven. Did you hear that? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people. Sure, God's looking for faithful. He's looking for people whose hearts, you'll commit their hearts to him. But we're still flawed. We're still sinners in need of a savior. And the good news of Christmas is that one has been provided. That leads us to the second group of branches that are found in Jesus' family tree. God uses failures. He uses absolute failures. Um, you know, as we talk about uh, genealogy, um, it reminds me of something somebody once said about most families. Uh, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts, okay? You'll see that tomorrow, I'm sure, in your, some of your family gatherings. Um, Matthew, the book of Matthew here, makes no effort to gloss over the nuts in this family tree. I mean, he, he doesn't hide the embarrassing limbs or the twisted branches. Now, most historians tend to do that, though. Most historians tend to, you know, skip over the scoundrels and in, in families and, and just focus in on the saints. And if they come across somebody who had a bad reputation, an historian sometimes will try to, you know, clean it up. Maybe you heard the story about the prominent family who commissioned a professional biographer to record their family tree. And they gave this guy very detailed instructions and cautioned him to use discretion with a certain Uncle George, who, in a drunken stupor, had committed murder and was subsequently sent to the electric chair. So the biographer assured the family that he could handle it, and this is what he wrote. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to this position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> you know, there are some names here in the lineage of Jesus that are just as shocking. They really are. In fact, Matthew's genealogy really is filled with some Uncle George's, and he makes no attempts at covering it up. And, and I don't have time to go through all the loose nuts here in this tree, but I'm, I'm going to pick just a few. Listen to this. Judah and Tamar. Now, I would encourage you maybe you know, to go home and read the whole depraved story for yourself in Genesis 38, but basically they are father-in-law and daughter-in-law who slept together. But actually, he thought she was a prostitute because she dressed up like one to deceive him because she wanted a child, and his two other sons were struck down uh, by God for their disobedience before either one of them could give her children. So Judah agrees to sleep with her, thinking she's a prostitute, for the price of a goat. Now, before the goat can be delivered, he, he didn't have the goat with him, he decides to give her some personal items as a down payment. Tamar becomes pregnant with twins. Judah is self-righteously enraged because he was going to give her to his third son, but now he thinks that she's had someone else's children. So he has her dragged out to be burned at the stake, and at the last minute, she reveals those personal items he had given to sleep with her when he thought she was a prostitute because he didn't have a goat with him. And uh, you can't make this stuff up, by the way. This is crazy, right? You're like, man, Pastor Chris, this sounds crazy. You know, how would you like to be at this family reunion? I mean, seriously. The genealogy of Jesus not only goes through people like Judah and Tamar, but it also travels through Perez, their child of incest. Listen very carefully. And some of you came here tonight, and maybe you need to hear this loud and clear. 
God still uses the broken to bring about breakthrough. God uses the broken to bring about breakthrough. And maybe here tonight you feel like you're a broken heart, a broken person, and there's no hope. Man, the genealogy of Jesus just tells us, man, that's not true. I mean, through the very twisted branch of Judah and Tamar, God's grace continues to grow. What about Rahab? You know, she's mentioned eight times in the Bible, six of those times she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute. But listen, because of her faith, she's also listed in God's hall of faith in Hebrews 13. Then there's Rehoboam, son of Solomon, because of his pride and lust for power, he was responsible for dividing the kingdom. Ahaz, one of the most ungodly kings, he worshiped pagan gods, he self-destructed. When he died, he was buried without honor, and yet it was to him, King Ahaz, that Isaiah initially gave the prophecy about the promised Emmanuel that would be born to a virgin. Manasseh was a king who reigned 55 years longer than any other, but he was Judah's most wicked king. He practiced idolatry. He sacrificed his own son to a pagan god. He worshiped the sun and stars. He killed people who disagreed with him. Again, you think your family's crazy. The Savior of the world, listen to me. The Savior of the world came to people, came from people, came through people that most people today would have nothing to do with. So why? Why have they been included in the genealogy of Jesus, in Jesus' Christmas tree? These individuals, who we would call failures, are in the family tree, not for what they have in common with Jesus, but for what they have in common with us. Guys, that's why Jesus came. And he can take our failures and turn them into something so beautiful, if you'll let him. He has a history of doing that. He, he did that through his own family. Now really quickly, let me close with the third and final observation from Jesus' family tree. Number three, God uses the forgotten. The forgotten. God uses faithful people with flaws. He uses those people who feel like failures. And he uses people who fear that they've been forgotten. You know, you can look back at this list and there are some names here that truthfully nobody knows anything about. I mean, what about Hezron and Ram? We don't know if they were saints or scoundrels. What about Abiud or Azor, Akim or Zadok? We, we know absolutely nothing about them. Now listen to me, here's my point. They may, they may not have ever made the headlines in the Bible. But don't you see, they are known in heaven. God used them to bring the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. What about you? Do you feel forgotten tonight? You ever wonder if God notices you? Listen, make no mistake. Not only does God notice you, but you are never, ever out of his heart. Listen to these verses from Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. Listen to me. You are always on the heart of God. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
You matter to him more than you realize. Jeremiah 29, 11, We talked about this a week ago here in church. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So tonight, or tomorrow morning, when you are gathered around your Christmas family tree, don't forget that very first Christmas tree. Jesus' family tree. And how it's a great reminder of God's grace. That God has this amazing way of taking our very feeble faith, coupled with all of our flaws and, and, and mistakes and all of our failures, and he can redeem them. Redeem them all for his glory and our good. And in the process, he never forgets us. In fact, are you ready for this? Our God, our loving Heavenly Father, he actually wants to include you in his family tree. Now, obviously, none of us can you know, appear in the actual physical bloodline that stretches back you know, from Jesus to David to Abraham. But the good news, the good news of Christmas is that this spiritual bloodline, it flows the other way too. Don't you see? His family keeps growing. His tree keeps growing. Now, how? How does that happen? Let me close with this verse. John 1.12 says this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Man, did you get that? You and I have the ability to be included in, in God's family tree, in the family tree of Jesus. In other words, Jesus died on a tree in order that you and I might have a place in his eternal tree, if, if you'll simply come to him. Admit your need for a savior and receive him into your life by faith. That's it. And that is the greatest gift that you could ever receive this Christmas. And it's my simple prayer that you'll open up your heart and receive him tonight. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the miracle of your grace. I thank you for this grand rescue mission that you came into this world in the person of Jesus. Yes, born as a baby, grown, grew up to be a man, and went to a cross to pay for my sin, to pay for anyone's sin who would simply come. But not only did you die on a cross, but Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive. He has power over sin and death. And Father, tonight, I believe that there are people in this room, people watching online, who are ready to come home, 
who are ready to come home into your family, into your family tree. And you tell us in your word that if we will simply receive you into our lives, that we will believe in your name, that we can become your children. So if you're here tonight and you're ready to come home, simply pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he rose from the dead and he is alive and I ask him to be my savior and my Lord. And tonight, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you see me now, God. Forgiven, brand new, adopted into your forever family. Father, thank you. Thank you for using the flawed but faithful failures. Thank you for using us in spite of who we are and what we've done. May we continue to live for you and to share and experience the life and the love of Jesus with Charleston and the world. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.